Welcome to Mulch. I'm your host, Jessica Jones. Sharing stories is healing. Whether it is to release them from your narrative or to connect to a community, I want to reserve this space for doing just that. Mulch is the shit that makes us grow. It is a place to be honest and to tell our fiercely vulnerable stories. The stories shared and concepts learned are here to serve the purpose of connecting us. Instead of looking at our experiences as a hindrance, I want to look at them as something meant to nourish us and support our growth. Something like mulch. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram at from.mulch, subscribe to our newsletter at frommulch.com, and press that subscribe button. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for joining me. Welcome to the third episode of Mulch. Today's episode is called The Masks We Wear in Dysfunctional Families. Last episode, we defined our new term, self-deficiency, a word that will be replacing the label of codependency for me. Self-deficiency refers to having a lack of relationship with ourselves. In last episode, I mentioned if this is a place you're at, um, a good place to start is looking at these two questions. One, are you meeting your basic needs? A foundation we need in order to have the ability to truly analyze and begin repairing our roots um, is having our basic needs met. And the second question was, who are you? People who are self-deficient lack that relationship with themselves. So starting with investigating who you are is essential in building that relationship with yourself. So today I want to focus on that second question. Who are you? This question is trickier than it appears because who we are is innate within us and also conditioned within us. It is who we are and who we are conditioned to be. And today I want to shed some insight on that second part, who we are conditioned to be. The parts of us that are there because of our experiences, not necessarily the parts that are our foundation and our true selves. I want to start today's episode by reading a memoir called The Girl. They weren't eggshells she was walking on, it was glass. She had to repress the pain that came to her throat to avoid being heard, tiptoeing, one foot and then the next, closing her eyes, holding her breath. Children should be seen, not heard. Those who have anything intelligent to say are silent, the voice said to her. This was the theme she carried throughout her adulthood repressing her voice, keeping it quiet, being seen and not heard, although she never felt seen either. Years later, she saw a flicker, a flicker of something distantly familiar, and she remembered. She had a fire within her, one that can't be easily smothered, one that bursts embers towards the sky, but before they get there, they dissipate, one at a time. She watches their light go out as they slowly float back to the ground. Is that where she belongs? She looks back at the sky, then back at the fire. No, she could feel it, 
She has a fire within her, one that will burn until it's set free. It will get to the stars if she tends to it, if she releases it, if she believes in it. This memoir, although about the same girl, shows two contrasting sides of her. One who is scared, tiptoeing, quiet, and one who feels the fire and the potential within her. She's looking at the sky and dreaming that that is where she belongs, and then for a moment has that feeling of doubt until she returns to the belief that she doesn't belong on the ground, but to the belief that she will set her embers free and they will make it to the sky. In 2019, I began doing a weekly group therapy session with other people supporting alcoholics in some capacity. And I remember having this feeling of bitterness and resentment, as if I didn't belong there. Honestly, there was like some sort of sense of entitlement or something that came along with it. Didn't I do the right things? Like, how did I get here? I was a good girl, is is basically how I felt. But through these sessions is where I discovered, you know, I was these two girls. Consciously, I knew I was that, that second girl. I knew I had a fire within me, despite the fact that I didn't show that to the world. Unconsciously, though, I was the first girl. And that is who I showed people. That is who I was living my life as. I was scared, tiptoeing, and I was being seen and not heard. One of the most impactful sessions I had when I was in group therapy, and one that um, really got me off my high horse of entitlement, thinking that I didn't belong in group therapy, was learning about the family roles in, in families with addiction. Um, so I'm going to go into detail about each of these roles, um, that was described to me. Um, keep in mind though, that, um, you know, you can exhibit characteristics from more than one role. So, you know, depending on who the addict is, it will affect the role you take on. Um, these titles, I wouldn't say are stagnant. Everything's on a spectrum for me. So, When you are listening to it, um, you might be connecting to one character or you might be connecting to two. Like sometimes with your mom, you acted like this one, but with your sister, you acted like this one. So just be open-minded when you're hearing about them. But before I go into this, uh, something that I thought was really interesting uh, when I was learning about, um, or not learning about mulch, but writing, um, before mulch was an idea, really, mulch was kind of like festering in the back of my head, but I hadn't really come to to what mulch was going to be, I was doing a lot of writing about humans and about and connecting them to nature. And it really helped me um, simplify the human experience by comparing humans' experiences to plants. Um, hence why it's called mulch, the shit that makes us grow. 
He said, okay, plants can grow from shit. Let's do this. We can, we got this humans. Um, but one thing I started writing about was bees. Um, because to me, it was so interesting that in a beehive, you have all of these bees with these, these different roles and they have jobs and their job is so dependent on the hive and making sure the hive thrives. Um, so I, I want to read you something I wrote about that before we start, a, start talking about these roles. So our family systems work very similar to a beehive. There are jobs and responsibilities that the queen, drones, and worker bees must fulfill in order to keep the hive functioning. The worker bees' daily tasks, for example, change depending on where the attention is needed. They are so connected to their family system that their behavior instinctively changes so they can survive. Similar to bees in a beehive, how we as humans respond to our environment as children depends on what needs attention to ensure our survival. I just wanted to mention this because it's not, like, to me, this is not that bizarre. The fact that we do take on these roles makes sense. The fact that we have an innate and inherent part of us makes sense. And then that we acquire a conditioned part of us also makes sense. And as an adult, I was really thrown for a loop when I was figuring out, and I'm still figuring this out, but what is me? Like, who am I? And then what was I conditioned to be? Like, were these fears and anxieties and insecurities that I have now there because that is inherently who I am, an anxious girl? Or were these things part of me because I was conditioned um, in a way to help my family survive? I needed to be on alert. I needed to be in control. I needed to have anxiety and be anxious because that made me overthink and, and think of all these solutions to problems before the problems happened you know what I mean another thing I want to know before I get into this I'm going on a tangent today but when this information was shared with me it was referencing families who have a member who is suffering from alcoholism however in my opinion um these roles can be influenced if you replace the alcoholic with someone um, who's living with any form of in quotations chaos so if there was a family member who who had um, who needed different attention or had, um, who had a lifestyle where your needs weren't being paid attention to, um, this might also apply. That's just an idea I'm throwing out there. I'm not saying that as that's something I know. I'm just saying that that might be an interesting thought to explore. Here are the five masks or the five roles we play in families with addiction. So the first role is called the addicted. The addict is probably the easiest one to define and identify. The person who is reliant on their addiction as a coping mechanism is the addicted. Often this person is living in a state of chaos, is unbalanced, and or a slave to their addiction. Often these people are struggling with underlying trauma mental health issues, or a need that wasn't fulfilled in childhood. Characteristics um, they might have are they may be a liar, manipulating, isolated, closed off, angry, have unrealistic goals, 
have a strange sense of reality, have lots of ups and downs, struggling with mental health. They may be absent, withdrawn, and dependent. The second role I want to talk about is called the enabler. Also known as the codependent or caregiver, the enabler is the person in the family who is in denial of the addicted's problems, or at least is not wanting to deal with them. They usually carry the burden of the addicted's problems on their shoulders, assuming all responsibilities. This could also mean defending the addicted and making excuses up for their behavior. The enabler unknowingly supports the addict's dysfunctional behavior, often thinking they're being supportive to the person when in reality they're just supporting their addiction. The enabler takes care or consoles the addict, usually because of a deep sense of empathy for the reasons behind their addiction. The enabler mothers the addicted and becomes controlling of their every behavior. The enabler may feel like the addict needs them to survive, constantly picking up the pieces of the addict, who will inevitably need to shatter to change. Some characteristics of the enabler are codependent, nurturing, defensive, delusional, anxious, passive, in denial, treat addicts like a child, controlling, constantly giving threats with no follow-through, understanding to a fault, a worrier, feels inadequate, and helpless. The third role is the hero. The hero is the person in the family that picks up the slack from the absent addicted family member. If the alcoholic is a parent, the hero would likely be an older child who assumes more responsibility. So for example, making dinner, babysitting, cleaning, or providing in some way. The hero usually grows up quick and becomes a provider for the family. Like the name suggests, the hero attempts to save the family by being overly responsible self-sufficient, and a perfectionist. They mask the family's issues as if there isn't anything chaotic about their situation. I mean, how could there be? They're perfect. Often their ability to soak in the chaos and to fix problems leaves them strong and later in life less vulnerable or easily detached from their hard emotions. So some characteristics um, they might display are being overly responsible, self-sufficient, an overachiever, looking good on the outside but feeling misunderstood on the inside, good at masking issues, anxious, trouble being vulnerable, um, strong in quotations or closed off, can handle a lot, nurturing, stress case, doesn't need help from anyone, feelings of embarrassment, guilt, and shame. The fourth role is the scapegoat. Opposite to the hero, the scapegoat is an obvious product of the addicted's dysfunctional behavior. They are usually the troubled child or the one to point blame at for the family's chaos. Their attitude is often defiant or hostile, and often this behavior diverts attention from the addict's behavior. So characteristics the scapegoat might display are being defiant, the rebel, has attitude, constantly getting in trouble, hostile, or has a I don't care attitude. Fifth role is the mascot. The mascot is the comedian of the family, lightening the chaos with humor. The humor, though, is a coping strategy to deal with the dysfunction of the family and their own feelings about the situation. Often the mascot takes themselves less seriously, is immature, and is the butt end of all the jokes in the family. Like a sponge, the mascot soaks in the stress and turns the unpleasantness into something livable, 
making the family's dysfunction a joke that often suffers from sadness or depression. Characteristics they might display, being immature, a class clown, depressed, difficulty being vulnerable or feeling emotions, uncomfortable in serious situations or conversations and not taking and not taken seriously. And the last role we have is called the lost child. So with chaos all around them, the lost child is often forgotten about. They stay quiet, isolated, and often don't look for attention. They stay out of the way, avoiding the behavior of the addicted and the conversations around their family's dysfunction. They cope by flying under the radar and escaping into their own private world, away from all the chaos. Characteristics uh, that might define the lost child are a loner, lonely, quiet, shy, passive, non-confrontational, introverted, feeling neglected, angry, and depressed. Now, how does identifying these roles help you? Identifying the mask or masks you wore or still wear in your dysfunctional family gives you insight into what behaviors or needs are yours and what behaviors or needs were required to ensure you and your family survived. Remember that beehive? Playing these roles in our families may have been essential for our family's survival. In addition to understanding your role in the family, these roles also provide understanding of what your other family members may have been experiencing and why their reactions to the family's chaos were different than yours. When I was in my family of alcoholics meetings and learned about the roles we play in dysfunctional families, this meeting was particularly powerful and meaningful to me. It gave me understanding of why I came out the other end of my dysfunction seemingly fine. It validated characteristics of myself that people saw as positive and strong as ones I felt were suffocating and preventing me from being me. I was responsible, an achiever, a fixer, but I was also anxious, experiencing anxiety attacks when I lost control. I felt closed off and misunderstood. It was hard for me to be vulnerable. It was hard for me to show people who I was. And I mentioned this in my memoir called Cocooned from the first episode that I'll link below, but I want to read you a passage from it. I came to realize that I cocooned myself. I layered myself with a protective shield every time I was shamed, guilted, lied to, yelled at. Every word, argument, threat, swear, drink, built an armor around me so thick that I wasn't even aware I was wearing it. I was oblivious that I was traumatized. Learning these roles gave me insight and understanding of my family and the characteristics they took on. It made me look at the mask they were wearing, the role they were required to take on in order for my family to survive. Just like the bees in the beehive, we adjusted our behavior instinctively. Understanding why we are the way we are is a big concept to grasp. But I hope if you are someone who comes from a family of alcoholism or comes from a family of chaos in some form, these roles have provided you with new perspective like they did for me. I would like to leave this episode by asking you this question. 
What is you and what is not you? Thank you for joining today. If today's content resonated with you, please subscribe or follow this podcast. If you're looking to support or follow Mulch or my journey, you can find me on Instagram at from.mulch. I love hearing from people and seeing shares, so please message me or tag me. You can also subscribe to my website at frommulch.com, where I will eventually be sharing subscriber content. Again, thank you for joining me. I'll see you next time, and I'm rooting for you.